We are in a series called Face to Face. And we are exploring what it looks like to have these love encounters, these face-to-face encounters with God Almighty. And so we're looking at different guys in the scriptures who encountered God in these face-to-face ways, and their world was changed. Some of them were messed-up type guys. Well, all of them are messed-up type guys. They have issues. They have past. They're unqualified for some sort of reason, and they come in contact with God, and God radically shifts the direction of their lives. I don't know about you, but personally, I need God taking a hold of my heart and my mind, meeting me face-to-face, and shifting it to where it's supposed to go. Because when I'm, I'm in charge, I go all kinds of weird places. When I take the reins and I think I know best, I get myself in all kinds of trouble. So as we continue with this series, this time of year, the kids go back to school, summer hours are over, things get serious at work, people have to travel all over the place, things just get nuts. And it feels like everything around you is kind of doing this whole limbo thing. Just woo! The way in which we have a foundation, the way in which we come and ground ourselves is by coming face-to-face with God and letting Him be our root, letting Him be our foundation. And so what I hope to achieve today is to help you gain that foundation, that firm grip on the ground. Our main theme for today is this. To experience God, we have to overcome excuses. To experience God, we have to overcome excuses. Some of you right now just put an excuse in your brain on why you can't overcome your excuses. You did. You you like, no, well, Jared, I can't do that because it's too hot in here or too cold in here. You already did it, right? You got to overcome the excuses to fully come in contact with God. To experience God, we have to overcome the excuses. Some of these excuses are good excuses. Some of them are petty excuses. Some of them are silly. Some of them have merit. But to experience God, we have to overcome excuses. The guy we're going to explore today is a man named Moses. He's probably like the second most important guy in the whole scripture. And he's got some of the best and worst excuses on why he can't do what God told him to do. He is the biggest whiner yet also the biggest protagonist of God's love and mercy and grace that there is in the Bible. It's it's amazing how he gets both. So guess what, guys? We can be whiners and still used by God. I find that really helpful. (laughs) To experience God, we have to overcome excuses. Exodus 3, verse 1 through 5. Now Moses was tending a flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness, and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. This is also Mount Sinai for you putting it in your head. There, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that through the bush was on fire. Though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why does the bush not burn up? When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush. Moses, Moses. Or if you like the Charlton Heston version, Moses, Moses. <laughs> and Moses said, here I am. He probably said, Whoo! Uh, but uh, here I am is way more dignified when he was writing this later. Um, Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. 
He comes face to face and encounters God Almighty. Our theme verse for this whole series is Exodus 33.11. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. This is our hope and this is our desire and this is where we want to get to be. We are not there, right? We're not, we're not there. But this is the aim, this is the hope. This, God puts this in the scripture in Exodus 33 so that we know it is achievable. We can strive towards this goal. We can work towards this goal. That we talk to God face to face as a man does his friend. Isn't that beautiful to think about? Because I have baggage, I have stuff. It's like, well, God doesn't want to hear from me today. I've got things, I don't know if he wants to talk to me today. I, ugh, I, got, I got this and I did that and I lost my temper with this and I did. Ah. God wants to speak face to face with us as a man does with a friend. A couple of things about Moses in this episode that I want to bring to light for you. First of all, who is he working for? His father-in-law. Isn't that everyone's dream? Right? You know you made it. I'm working for my father-in-law. I love my father-in-law. I loved him. We had a fantastic relationship. No way in heck would I want to work for him. If you guys are employed by your father-in-law, I'm sorry. And you can just smile and nod, especially if he's in here right now. That's okay. But, man, right? That's not your dream. That's not what you're hoping for. That's not what you're working towards. I don't want to, uh, my father-in-law. So that's the first thing of going on, what his stage of life is. Second thing is this. He is on the backside of nowhere. He is tending a flock. He is chasing stinky sheep in the desert. He's on the far side of where? The wilderness. The far side. Like, he's on Death Valley and then on the bad side of Death Valley. <laughs> right? Like, how do you... Like, he is in the middle of nowhere. If you get a... Go, you can Google where Mount Sinai is. Uh, they think it's this one mountain in the middle of Blech, in the middle of Blech, around Blech, in the tropical area of Blech. Okay, that is all that's going on there. It is the worst part of the worst part of the worst part. And so this is where, uh, where Moses happens to be, and he's leading, these, leading the flock of his father-in-law's sheep. They're not even his wealth. It's not even his sheep. And he is going around, and he finds this bush on fire. This is where he's at. And I ask you, where are you? Where do you find yourself this morning? Do you feel like maybe you're on the far side of nowhere? Maybe it's emotionally, spiritually. We're on the far side of nowhere. We don't have a whole lot going for us. We don't know about our jobs. We don't know about our relationships. And in that desperation and in that moment and in that the desert of all deserts, God encounters Moses. That you can't be far enough away. That you can't be running away any more than what Moses was. And then God yet still sought him out. Still wanted to meet him face to face. I think it's beautiful. Moses is in the desert, on the far side of the desert, because he's hiding because he killed a guy in Egypt. 
And for 40 years, he's been wandering around this desert, running away from his past. And what happens here in the scripture is just gorgeous to me, is that he starts this story in Exodus 3, hiding from his past. And then when we find him in Exodus 33, with the scripture of, uh, he meets with God face to face, he's actually having to hide himself because the glory of God shines through him so much. So he goes from hiding from everybody else to having to be hid from everybody else because he's too bright, too beautiful. He is doing like, what? You know, I don't know what's going on there with his, his complexion. He could probably sell a lot of product, whatever that is. He is just blinding everyone. So he's going from having, hiding from everybody to having to be hid. You see the transformation that's happening there? Isn't that beautiful? Same transformation that can happen in us. The first excuse that Moses gives is, who am I? And it seems like a good excuse. Who am I to meet you? Who am I? I I'm disqualified. I killed a guy. I've run away. I disappointed everybody. Exodus 3, 11 through 12. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be a sign to you that, this, that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. But Moses said to God, Who am I? And this is often the first response we have when we're entered into a conversation with God. When we think about praying, when we think about needing him, who am I? I'm not good enough. I'm disqualified. You don't know my, you don't know what I, you don't know my baggage. I talked to one of our baptismal candidates yesterday and she said, Jared, I didn't come forward on the baggage day because you didn't have enough luggage up there. I was going to fill it all, and I needed more to, to dump my stuff. And I, I thought that was beautiful, one, that she's a baptismal candidate today. Amen. Hoorah. But also, that, that's how, sometimes how we feel. We feel like, oh, well, I can't participate in that because that's okay for everybody else. But my stuff is so that God slices through all of that. We have to overcome condemnation. This is the cure for the who I am, overcome condemnation. Now, condemnation is a big word, and it is, we have, condemnation is from Satan. You're not good enough. You'll never be good enough. You are condemned. That is from the evil one, that you are not, you're never going to be good enough. You're, you're done. And we've all felt that, right? That is a straight lie from Satan. Conviction is from God. Conviction is when I, say, I feel that I have done something wrong and now I can transition into something better. This is the hope and the future that God provides through us through Jesus Christ. He says, you know what? You are miserable. You are dirty. You did do stupid stuff. But guess what? There's a better way. There is mercy. There is hope. There is a future. Conviction versus condemnation. We're really good at condemnation. And I think sometimes we even using being condemned as an excuse not to try to write our lives. Because if we're condemned, it's convenient. If we're condemned as low as we are, we're still like, oh, I don't have to try to get any better because it's all over. Conviction says, no, 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 no. There's a hope and a future for you, and you can do better. You can move better. You can get better and get through this. Second excuse 
Or, sorry, I want to read this for you. Titus 3, verse 4 through 5. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing and rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Next excuse is this. Who are you? Moses is like, who am I? I'm not good enough. And God shoots that down. The second thing is, who are you? Crazy bush thing that's talking to me? Right? Who are you? Because this the idea, you have to understand that, that we have this idea that God is all places, all the time, everywhere. They do not have the thought umpteen thousand years ago. They don't. Gods are, are confined in their thought to geographic locations. So I came from Egypt, and I, and I know the story of my people, but that God seemed to only work over there. And then, but the Nile gods and the gods of the, the crocodiles and the gods of the wheat and the gnats and the gods of all these things, which God, what God, it's, what, what is happening right now? Like you could just, the confusion, but also who, who are you? Scripture. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me. And they asked me, what's his name? And what should I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you're saying to Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Now, this is not a non-answer. It kind of feels that way. But this is why we're saying the great I am. Because God is saying, I am. And Moses is going, but I am. He said, I am. I am that God. I am the God of that, and I am the God of this, and I'm the God of that. That one, too. What did, oh, I'm the God of that. You got any more? But what about the, the, are you the God of, you know, wheat? Yes. Are you the God of plastics? I don't know what plastics are. You know, but we, uh, yes. <laughs> Thousands of years ago, right? But he's the, I am. The answer is yes. I am the God of that. Instead of going, are you the thunder God? Are you the God of water? Are you the God of the river? Are you the God of the desert? Are you... Are you the God of this mountain? Like you see where the confusion would come from. From a, I am. And for us, I think that seems to be still a question. We think and we, you know, through growing up and through whatever we've been, oh yeah, God's everywhere. But we still build in this like, well, that God, God's only active at this time, at that place. He only does things there. And when he wants to speak to you face to face, he's saying, no, no, I am who I am. I'm the God of here too. I can meet you at the baseball diamond. I can meet you at church. I can meet you at work. I can meet you cleaning out gutters. I am who I am. I am the God of love who wants to redeem you and tell a new story in you. We do this, the overcoming of this is overcome doubt. Overcome doubt. We've met and know, and I know, and I am. I have my own doubts. I go through periods where, what is this? What does this look like? How does that work? And Moses, and, and Moses has doubts, and he's talking to them, right? Because the big thing for doubters, and I understand this for analytical people, people like, got to have a reason for everything. I got to need a tactile experience. Moses is talking to God and still like, who are you? I need to see a, you know, a resume. 
He's got, we're always like, I need a burning bush. It didn't even work for Moses. Why would it work for you? Right? So we sometimes have to go, we just have to overcome doubt. And this is hard. I think the doubt maybe sometimes is doubt in ourselves that some that we could actually be changed, that we could actually have new life. Overcome doubt. Jeremiah 32 1 says this. Ah, oh, so sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Nothing. Nothing. So is your stuff too hard for him to redeem? No. The excuse is taken away. Next excuse is this. What if they? What if they? Moses says, what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord, does, did, the Lord did not appear to you? What if they? This is tough. This is a hard one. I think this is one that I, I struggle with a lot. We have to overcome fear. We have to overcome fear. Think about what Moses is being asked to do. He is asked to go into a foreign country, the most powerful empire the world has ever seen. This thing lasted for thousands of years. And Moses is asked to say, hey, big guy, you want to let this huge million people of slaves go? It'd be great. We're just going to go out here for a minute. Bye. That's what he's asked to do. That's like being asked to go up to President Obama and say, so could we, uh, you know, all Lithuanians, we're just going to get in a boat. We're going to go to Canada. Cool. You cool with that? We're just going to leave. I don't, I'm trying to make something up, but uh, (laughs) I don't know where I got Lithuanians from. Uh, (laughs) But we're just going to, we're just going to, we're just going to, we're just going to go. We're going to take all of our money. We're going to take all of our manpower, everything that we have, we're going to go. That, would, that wouldn't be the, the it'd be pretty Actually, in our country, it's okay, we have freedom. Say if you're going to China, and it'd be a million people from China going, you know what, guys, we're going to head out. See ya. It's not going to go well. We're going to go over to Tibet, you know, we're, going to, we're going to walk away. It's not going to go well. He has fear. And he's, I, I love it, and I'm scared of it, and it comes even more poignant to me that he's not even talking about his fear of Pharaoh. He's talking about his fear of his friends. He's talking about his fear of his family. What if they reject me? What if they say I'm full of beans? And if I'm honest with myself, this fear plays in my heart. Yesterday, had a goofy encounter yesterday. Uh, kids, this, I did not know this. No one told me this, but, and maybe it's not true for your house and I'm sorry if it's not, but my kids never get to really play with their toys or play with each other because school happened. Right. And so Saturday, this beautiful, blissful thing happens where they start playing with their toys and, you know, talking to each other. And so Kelly, because she's working full time and pregnant, passed out on the couch watching college football as every good a wife should be on Saturday morning. I love it. I fully approve this message. And so I'm going, well, I said, I, I'm not needed. I go to Starbucks. I'm run out of the house, right? I go to the Starbucks. I'm coming here, getting some stuff ready for baptismal and, and, and the message for today. But I go to Starbucks. I'm going to stop into GameStop. 
why not? Let's stop in a GameStop. I stop in a GameStop, walk in there, and I hear a kid uh, mouthing off to his father in a fun way. And I was like, I know that voice. And I turn around, and I go, Logan, what are you doing? And he looked, he's one of our little cute, awesome kids turned six years old this week. Turn around, he's like, I know you. <laughs> You're from church. Uh, and so, so I'm there and we're talking and goofing around and talking to Josh and we're talking a few things. And the guy behind the counter, he works at GameStop. You can come up with whatever uh, judgment you have, a guy at GameStop. It's got, I, I, don't, I don't want to talk about it too much because we invited him to church, but I was like, you're, you're, I'm automatically assuming you're going to say no. I'm automatically saying there's no reason to talk to this guy about church. And that's my bad. That's my bad. That's my, I'm going to go with conviction here and not condemnation because it's really easy to be like, you stink and you're a terrible pastor. Okay. But I've already prejudged this guy. And so me and Josh are talking about how great all these things are and laughing and having a good time. And the guy goes, what church do you guys go to? Thank you, dude, for shaming me. And I did, but the business card comes out pretty quick. And I was like, ah, yeah, we have church, blah, 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 blah. And it was great. But the guy wanted to know. But I'd already prejudged my fear of this guy's not, no, no, he's going to, because, you know, I hang out with the GameStop guys a lot that I really should care what he thinks about me. I don't that much. Don't, don't but, but, but that fear was already there, right? And I let that fear dictate, or ended very well, but I, I let it negate an opportunity to talk to somebody about coming to the church, about God, about where, wherever that conversation could have Led. How many times do we let our prejudgment of someone negate our invitation to a beautiful and loving God who cares about their souls? Our fear keeps people from access to the Almighty. Our silly fears. What if they don't talk to me anymore? What if they don't? Let... We're talking about their souls going to hell, and you're scared if they don't like you very much. And that is conviction to myself and hopefully conviction to you as well. See, my thing is, I overthink it. I, over, I overthink it. I have, I have an argument already in their head about what they're going to say and what they're going to yell at me about. I got a lot of knots. That's the most knots I've ever gotten in my whole life. Uh, preaching right there. <clears throat> but we overthink it. And I got a picture of, uh, here that we're going to put up in a second because my daughter taught me something about fear yesterday that absolutely uh, just blew me away, and I've been thinking about it ever since. And I want this to maybe be a mental image for you as you think about fear, as you think about overcoming fear, is that the trick to getting through fear is to act on it, is to do it. You can't overthink it. Because we're talking to Kendall yesterday, and we were talking to her about uh, this trip she took uh, to um, my daughter was six years old at the time. She's seven now. They just took it a couple weeks ago to um, Gatlinburg, Tennessee. There's the word, Gatlinburg. Uh, Kelly's best, my wife's best friend was getting married in Gatlinburg. And so Gatlinburg has this amazing, huge ropes course. <clears throat> and my daughter, who, when she was little, if you pushed her on the swing, she would start crying. Okay? Like both, both like this, start shaking. I hope my head, my head turned red because that's exactly what happened. Like she would just, and she quit breathing for asthmatic. This was great, right? So you'd put her on a swing and going back and forth. Once again, second week in a row, why we don't videotape our messages. 
So she's going back and forth, going back and forth, and she would not breathe. Anytime there was movement in the swings, uh, we could put Bowen in that baby swing that click, 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 back and forth. He'd be out for like hours, probably to, you know, just hours. Kendall, you put her in for five seconds. <laughs> Head spinning around, pea soup going to <laughs> So, <laughs> so this is going on. And so this picture, she, Kendall's like, I want to go on the ropes course. Show the picture of how high this ropes course is. That's my girl. Daddy was not present at the picture taking of this, right? I was preaching at that moment, and it's a good thing, because if I would have known about it, that probably wouldn't have happened because of my fear. But that's my girl jumping off a huge platform. Yeah. She's doing that. And so we asked her yesterday, I was like, what? what was your favorite part of that? She goes, well, I knew if I waited, I would get too scared and I wouldn't do it. I know. And I said, oh, when Kelly and I looked at each other, like out of the mouth of babes, the truth of that statement hit me so hard because I, I know you guys don't do this, but I overthink things so much that I've already fought that argument. I've already lost an argument. I've already been kicked out of Mariano's for talking to many people about Jesus. And I haven't even gotten out of my car to walk in yet. What's the trick from a little girl? I just did it because then afterwards I knew I'd been too scared. We got to overcome fear. We got to beat it. We got to act on it. There's a lot of steps that you need to take maybe today. Maybe you've been too scared to submit your life to Christ. Do it now. You don't have to wait until the end of the message. You got to do a Kindle and just do it now. Maybe it's something, I, God, I, right now, God, I need to submit to you. I don't want to wait. I don't want to overthink this. I don't want to wait until the, the perfect time when the music is playing at the end of service. I need to do it right now. God, I want to submit my life to you. Will you forgive me of my past and set me on a new future right now? Somebody in here needs to do that right now. Don't wait. Do it now. Some of you today need to get baptized. And you're like, well, I didn't send you an email and I didn't call. I don't care. I got extra t-shirts here. If you walk around here sopping wet, it's a good day for that. No one will be like, oh, well, that was that person doing. They know exactly what you're doing. You had new life today, right? So if you need to get baptized today, do it. Overcome the fear. Paul says in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first the Jew, then the Gentile. Do it now. Some of you are right there on the edge, but your fear keeps you from encountering him. Get rid of the excuses and jump. Finally, last excuse that Moses gives is this. I have Never. I have never. Exodus 4, 10 through 12. Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord, but I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will help you speak and teach you what to say. 
I have never paralyzes us. I've never experienced that before. I've never done that before. I don't know what it'll be like. I don't know what so-and-so will say. I have never before. Maybe this is for you today and, and just the way in which we worship, right? I've never raised my hand in worship. I grew up, we didn't really raise our hands in worship. It had to be a really, really interesting time for us to, to raise our, our, our hands in worship. Unless I was at State Youth Convention, then I could raise my hands in worship at State Youth Convention. Other than that, no. But it's really, you've got to be very intentional about getting over I have nevers. Maybe you come to church and you go, you know what, today I'm going to tap my toe. Right? Today I'm going to do the carry the TV. Right? Today I'm going to do, you know, I, today, today's a touchdown day. You may, in the car, prepping yourself, today is a touchdown day. I don't do it. Now, every time you raise your hand or see somebody raising your hand in worship, you're like, there's a, there's a touchdown. <laughs> it's just an expression of what God is doing in your life. It is an abandonment of self to come encounter with God. Is it necessary? No. But does it help? Yes. I have never overcome reluctance. Overcome your reluctance. How do you do this? You become very intentional. You take away the excuses. You take away the excuses because, like I said, just as Kindle, you got to do it now. You got to make that choice now. You got to act on it now. So after service is over, you got to go sign up for life group now because I've never been a life group and I don't know how they're going to think about me and I don't want, they don't know my past. And I, don't, uh, 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 I don't know what to expect and my kids are loud and I, uh, whatever. I have never overcome the reluctance to go sign up for life group. I don't know what to do for growing in my faith. And I don't, I don't know. I've never go sign up for grow. I've never been baptized. Just come forward in the next song. Sit up here. We'll take care of the rest. Act now. Overcome it. Taking away these excuses Open the avenue to encounter God. So often we put up these excuses and we let them be there. And God's like, I got something better for you. I got a new life for you. I got a new plan for you. That's what he's saying to Moses. Moses, you threw up all these great excuses and I shot every single one of them down because I have a better life for you. I have a future for you. There's a way in which I want to use you. To reclaim not just yourself and your messed up life, but for a whole people. I don't know what God has for you. I don't know what God has planned for you. But Moses was a murderer on the backside of nowhere. And God redeemed him and used him in amazing, miraculous ways. I don't know where you're at. I don't know what you've done. But God wants to redeem you and use you in miraculous, amazing ways. We're going to pray and then we're going to get to baptize some people. But today, before we do all that, maybe today is a day in which you need to take that step and ask God to forgive you and set you on a new path. To take away the old and give you the new. Let's pray. God, right now, Lord, I, I thank you for who you are and what you've done in our hearts and in our lives. And God, I thank you that you're a God who wants to encounter us and approach us and be with us and that you don't want to condemn us, but you want to convict us so that we have eternal life with you.
God, right here and right now, Lord, we, we give you our hearts, we give you our past, we give you our stuff, and we ask you to remake us and remold us and set us on a new path as new creations in you. Lord, we love you, and we praise your name. Amen.